The song said, no matter what you feel, a lot of folks live by their feelings. Means they're up one day and down the next, or really, if their feelings are anything like mine, you could be up one hour and down the next. Because they change, don't they? No matter what you feel, no matter what you see, we walk by faith, we don't walk by sight. My hope is in the promises that you have made. And remember, the promises are not just words on a sheet of paper, they're backed up by the very person of God himself. They're God's promises. And our hope that we have is not just in those words, it's in the God who spoke those words. And um, my dad always told me that you could judge a man um, uh, by his word. And if uh, dad respected somebody, he would say something like, uh, talking about that person, he says, you can take what he says to the bank. (laughs) And that's what is with God's faithfulness. And some of us have proved that over the years. Some of us are still proving that and growing more and more in faith, and some yet have yet to really step out and, 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 and prove that God is that faithful through all of his promises. I don't know how many promises there are in the Bible. I'm not going to take the time to count them, but some fools have done that, okay? And they come up with huge numbers, and uh, one guy came up with 7,700 and something, um, and another guy came up with 3,000 and something. You say, well, why in the world is the discrepancy there? Well, there, and we may get to this in the series, I look differently at promises and principles of Scripture. And I may explain that one day. But if you include both of those together as promises, then you're going to have all over 7,000 in the Bible. In fact, if you think about it, the Christian life is all about promises of God. The Christian life is nothing more than promise made, promise believed. That's the Christian life. Really. That's all the Christian life. God has said something and we've taken him at his word. That's what the Christian life is. There's really nothing more than that. Because promise made, promise believed. Promise made, promise believed. There's nothing more to the Christian life. And God has spoken and I take him at his word. I take it to the bank. That's what the Christian life is. And I don't think you can get anything else out of the Christian life other than the fact that God has made promises and we either choose to believe them or that we either choose not to believe it. Over and over again, our Christian life is promise made, do we believe it? Promise made, do we believe it? Promise made, are we going to lean hard on it? Promise made, are we going to stock our future on that? There are promises that are conditional and there are promises that are unconditional. A conditional promise has a premise. It's an if-then type of statement. Every contract you have ever signed in work or business has been a conditional contract. If this guy does this, then I'll do this. If he breaks this, contract's null and void. uh, Promises have premises a whole lot. There's conditions to those, if-then statement. But there's unconditional promises in the Bible too. Most of the promises are conditional. Most of the promises depend on our belief and our trust in them for them to really function in our life. But there are some unconditional promises in the Bible. Genesis chapter 9, verse 11, God is speaking to Noah right after the flood. And he says, I will establish my covenant with you. Never again uh, will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. That's called the Noahic covenant. 
the covenant he made with Noah, I promised Noah never to flood the earth like I've just done. Now, we've had all kinds of floods, but there's never been a flood like that flood. And God says there never will be. That doesn't make any difference if you believe that. doesn't make any difference if you're an atheist or a Christian or somewhere in between. doesn't make any difference. That's an unconditional promise. That promise has no premise. Okay? Another unconditional promise is in Acts chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Jesus is uh, ascending back to the Father after he's been raised from the dead. And it says they were looking intently up into the sky. That would be the disciples as he was going. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Those would be angels. Men of Galilee, these angels said to the disciples, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way. The second coming of Jesus Christ is an unconditional promise. I don't give a rip if you believe it or not. (laughs) It doesn't make any difference if you believe it or not. It's unconditional. There's no premise to that promise. But as I said, there's a whole slew of conditional promises. And for this promise to work for me in my life, I have to add my faith, my trust, my belief in this. And then it will become operational in my life. This guy over here, he's trusting and believing in, in this promises. It gets operational in my life. I hear the same promise. I don't trust it. I don't believe it. I don't stake my hope in it. It's not operational for me. The, the, one of the most famous verses of all Scripture is a conditional promise of God. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes... Whoever believes, that verse does not say, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so no one will perish but have eternal life. That doesn't say that. It's a conditional promise to those who believe. And what does believing mean? Believing God promises. It means believing with head, believing with heart, believing with mind, believing with soul, believing with your shoe leather of your feet, meaning that you put them into work in your life. It's not just a a mental belief that it's true. A lot of people have a mental belief that it's true. But incorporating it into your life and believing it with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that is a Christian belief. Everybody says you're supposed to have a life verse. I don't have a life verse, so I guess I'm not a real Christian. But if I did have a life verse, it would be 2 Corinthians 5.17, and it's a conditional promise. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. If. Anyone is in Christ. Now, we, could take, we, need, we would need to take, if I was preaching on that verse, I would need to take a good bit of time and lay out what does it mean to be in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, doesn't just look at you and say, you're a new creation, you're a new creation, you're new. No, for those who are in Christ, it's a conditional promise. Now, promises are, are kind of weird in a way. And Dr. David Jeremiah uh, said this, and as I was reading and trying to prepare for this message, I, obviously, as I do every single week, I read from a lot of other people. I, uh, I uh, listen to a lot of other people, watch other people preach, and do that Monday through Friday. And by Saturday, I've got something, something churning in my spirit that I want to say, and I put my own way to it, and I have a sermon. And as I was reading from Dr. Jeremiah, he said this about uh, promises. He says, uh, on promises, they're kind of weird because we're certain about ultimate things. 
but were uncertain about immediate things. Now, that is really, really good, friends. Think through that. This is one of those things when I read it, I said, well, sure, that's true, but I've never thought it before in my whole life. When we take God at his word, we're certain about the ultimate things that things will work out. But you know what? We're all uncertain about the immediate things, about how it's all going to work out along the way. Jesus is coming back again, and no matter what I go through in my life, he's promised never to leave me nor forsake me. That's an ultimate thing. But the immediate thing of what's going to happen tomorrow, and will I get COVID or not? And uh, when I have to have prostate surgery, how's that going to go? All those immediate things, we don't know what tomorrow holds. But we know who holds tomorrow. Or we're certain about ultimate things. God's going to get us through this. But of how tomorrow will work out and the next day and the next week and the next month will work out, we don't know those things. That's really true. We're certain about ultimate things. But we're uncertain about immediate things. And why do our promises like that? Because he wants us to trust him. And those things we're uncertain about, the immediate things, the things we're uncertain about, what's going to happen tomorrow, how I'm going to get through this, how our church is going to get through that, how our families are going to get through this, all those immediate things, not ultimate things, but immediate things, he says, trust me with those. Trust me with those. We know what the end is, but you walk with me and you trust me with those immediate things. Now, I can't preach a series on the promises of God without preaching on the most promised thing in all of Scripture. Now, I've never preached about this topic in 10 plus years I've been here preaching. And the topic is giving. And I've never preached on giving because you're such good givers and I'm afraid I'd mess it up if I preached on giving. (laughs) Now, I've taken plenty of shortcuts into other messages. I've taken a little detour and talked three or four minutes about giving. I've done that plenty of times. But never, ever, ever in all the messages I've preached here in 10 plus years have I preached a message solely devoted to giving. But I would not be an honest preacher if I neglected the most promised thing in all of God's words. And I'm preaching this message this morning to people who are unbelievably good givers. I had our treasurer, Kelly Ammon, look something up for me this week. And I said, I want our calendar year giving for 2020. I want it compared to our calendar year giving 2019. And obviously what I was doing, I was comparing COVID to the year before. That's obviously what I was doing. COVID started in March or so. So we've had nine months of attendance that has been less than what we would have wanted it to be so our calendar year giving we usually do we usually talk about fiscal year giving and our fiscal year is from june 1 to may 31 but let's just talk about calendar year and in our calendar year giving in 2020 covid year we you all gave 93 percent of what you gave in 19 with 40% less people coming to church. Now, that encourages me greatly because that tells me that you understand that giving is not something you do when you come to church. Giving is a lifestyle. That encourages me greatly 
because we've got more people that mail it in now because they're not in the sanctuary. We've got more people uh, that are online givers now than we've ever had before. We've got people that come in every single week. We'll have people that come in and drop it off. 93% of what we gave in 2019 is an unbelievably encouraging figure. So what I'm saying to you, I'm not preaching this message because the coffers are dry. The coffers are empty. In fact, the people in here that are on the church board knows we have plenty of money to do what we want to do as a church. We do. I'm not trying to get more money so we can start this new project. I'm not trying to do that at all. And that's one of the reasons I don't preach on giving because everybody thinks, well, the pastor's got some kind of uh, ulterior motive in doing this. No, I don't have any ulterior motive other than I can't preach a series on the promises of God without preaching on the most promised thing in all of Scripture. I can't do it. I wouldn't be an honest preacher to do that. So, we'll start to see. <laughs> you know what? And, and, and some of you will know, Harold will know this, and any of you who've got church, uh, have maybe pastored or been on staff will know this. You know what the most preached message is on the first Sunday of the year <laughs> of all churches? It's a message on giving. Because this is a, the resolution time and turning on, over new leaf time and pastors are always trying to get people to do that um i'm not trying to do it for that reason i'm just saying i can't preach a message on promises without preaching on the most promised thing of all in scripture of all in scripture and that is giving and i want you to have the blessing of god in your life and you cannot have the fullness of god's blessing in your life if you are not honoring him in your giving now my message this morning is going to be different than nine out of ten messages I preach. My message this morning is kind of going to be like a Tuesday night men's Bible study because I'm going to go through a whole lot of things. I'm not going to take time to flesh out those things and to explain and properly exegete all of those things. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to just give you a lot of scriptures, more than I ever have, and just show you some, not all obviously, some of the promises of God that have to do with giving. So I'm going to fly through this, and, and you will say this is kind of different than Mark usually does. You can write them down if you choose to do this, but I'm going to fly through a lot of this. I want you to know that God promises to bless the giver. Now, now, what does blessing mean? What can mean a whole lot of different things? How's he going to bless me, Mark? I don't know, because you know what? I know ultimate things. I don't know immediate things. I know he will bless you. That's the ultimate thing, but I don't know how. Is it going to be financially? Is it going to be with my kids? Is it going to be this way, this? I have no clue and don't claim to. And would really go off on a deep end if I looked at you and said, God will bless you in this way. For sure. God, this is, this is how God works. I'd put God in a little box and I wouldn't dare do that. But you'll have the shine of God on your life. You'll have the favor of God on your life because he promises in all of Scripture in a whole lot of different ways to bless the giver. Proverbs 29 verse, excuse me, 22 verse 9. Proverbs 22 verse 9. The Bible says the generous will themselves be blessed for they share their food with the poor. The, gen the generous will themselves be blessed. Now how, how is it as a church that we share our food with the poor? Well, I'm extremely proud of our interactions with lower income folk in Xenia, Ohio. And we do that in a myriad of ways. That doesn't mean that every single person you see at a stoplight that's flying a sign, you've got to give a $5 bill to. Most of the times, I don't. Most of the time, I don't. 
But sometimes maybe we feel like, for whatever reason, we feel like maybe we should. But through your giving to the local congregation in so many ways, in so many ways, we try to help the poor. You know, one of the reasons that we can give away so much money and try to minister to someone's money, I've never said this to you in 10 years. Um, you know, we don't, we, don't have the, we don't have the sharpest, coolest looking church in town, do we? And you can go in, in Xenia and Beaver Creek and all the surrounding places and see a nicer, cooler, more up-to-date church building. But you know what? We ain't got a mortgage. You want a, you want a, you want a nice, cool-looking church? Uh, we're going to have to cut in other areas. You want to have a real happening church that everybody goes by and says, ooh, look at that architecture. We can have it. We have to cut in other areas. Now, there will obviously be a day in time in the history of Xenia Church of the Nazarene that we build on that property over there. I don't, it won't be in my tenure here, I don't think. Not because I'm against that. I just don't think the need is going to be there for it. But somewhere in the next 10, 15, 20, 25 years, there will be a church that's connected to the community center. I, I just feel like. But when that happens, no, you got a mortgage payment. And know that that money that was being spent in some other ways is going to have to go to brick and mortar. And that's not necessarily bad. Because you can make an argument that a new building could attract new people. And you can make that. But I just know it's choices on that. So I just say when you, when we give, when you give to the church, we support the poor. And we certainly couldn't do that as much if we had all of these expenses. So we limit try to very much limit some of the expenses that we have that are not absolutely necessary. Proverbs 11.25, remember I'm telling you that God promises to bless the giver. 11.25 says a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. A generous person will prosper. What's prosper mean, Mark? I, I could preach a whole message on that, but I wouldn't have time for everything else. It's, it's, there's a lot of things under the headline of prospering. Here's one of the things under the headline of prospering that are extremely important to all of us who are parents. God promises to bless the giver's children. How's that going to work out, Mark? I don't know. It's an ultimate thing. It's not an immediate thing. I know about ultimate things. I don't know about immediate things. How's it all going to work out? How's God do that, Mark? I don't know. But in his word, more places than just the scripture I'm going to tell you here, God promises to bless the giver's kids. Psalm 37, verse 26 is the verse that I chose to use. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children, their children will be a blessing. God promises, promises that as you give, there's some type of a byproduct. There's some type of an offshoot. There's some type of rippling effect that somehow goes to bless your children. Does that mean that your children will definitely always be Christian? No. There's a blessing that goes down to them, and blessing can mean a lot of things. 
one of the blessings for your children, if you're a generous giver, is that if you are a generous giver, you're probably a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. And that's a tremendous blessing to your children. And that's a tremendous blessing to your children. Okay? Lots and lots of promises. But if you list them under topics, you have, you'll have 10 of them about this and 15 of them about this, but the most promises that you have are promises about us who are givers, of who are generous people. Do you know God promises to bless the giver's work, to bless the giver's business, to bless the giver's occupation? Generous people have a promise from God that if I'm generous, whatever I put my hand to in life, whatever I put my hand to in life, there's a blessing, God says, will be there. And it's in more than one scripture. I've just got one up here, Proverbs 3, 9. Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits from all of your crops. And then the, then the text says, then your vats will be overflowing. That was an agrarian society, right? It was, not very many of us are farmers here. But as we bless them with the first fruits from all your crops and our vats will be filled to overflowing, what they stored all of their agricultural things and all their food that they were raising in, they'll be overflowing. He's promised. He's promised to bless your work. He's promised to bless your occupation. He's promised to bless what you put your hand to if you're a generous person. If you're a giver. And may I say here, and I could say it anywhere in the message, it has to be, and I'll probably finish with this as well. It's not just to a generic giver who gives maybe out of obligation or out of duty or out of compulsion or out of thinking that God is a divine vending machine. If I put in a dollar, he'll give me a dollar. Or if I put in a dollar, he'll give me five dollars. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. Not done out of compulsion. Not done out of obligation. Not done out of duty. Not done to try to get rich or God some divine vending machine. It's simply done because God is a promise maker and my life will go better if I believe and trust his promises. And I'm being disobedient to him if I don't take him at his word and trust his promises. If you think that God is a divine vending machine and I better start giving so God will give back to me, I don't think it works that way. Because your heart is wrong. Your heart, and let me say this, I'll say it right here, right now. If you feel like you can't give to Xenia Nazarene because you're not confident of me or you're not confident of the church's ministries, or you're just not all in with what we're doing, can I graciously give you the best pastoral advice I could ever give you? Go find a church that you do believe in and give. Go find a church. Because I want the blessing of God on your life. And you won't get it unless you're honoring Him with your generosity. So I, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't agree the direction the church is going into. That's fine. Come talk to me about it. 
Maybe we can agree or maybe we'll just have to agree to disagree. But if you're holding back giving because you don't believe, I don't believe in that or I don't believe in this or I don't think Mark should do that or whatever it is, that's great. Everybody doesn't have to believe with everybody, agree with everybody else. But for your sake, go to a church that you believe in. Go to a church that you believe in what they're doing and you can freely, without compulsion or duty, give to them. God's shine, His favor, His blessing will be on your life. Deuteronomy 15.10 talks about this work thing, God blessing your work. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. How does that work out, man? Does that mean that my business who is making a half a million this year, next year, if I start giving, will go to four million? No, probably not. I can't guarantee that. There's probably a lot of things that have to do with your business improving going to four million, but your generosity is one of them. Your generosity is one of them. God promises to bless the giver's work. I want to say one here that most of you know, because you probably memorized this verse, a lot of you, that you, if you've been in church any while. God promises to meet the needs, the giver's needs. God promises to meet the giver's needs. Not my wants, but my needs. Okay? Christopher wanted, uh, what's it called? PS5, PF, what are they called? What are y'all called? Somebody knows. PS5. It costs $500. You ain't getting it for Christmas. <laughs> Christopher has what he needs. Christopher has what he needs. Now, Christopher is working now, and he's been working for a while, and he's saving money, and if he chooses to spend $500 on that, I probably won't agree with that, but it's his money. Philippians 4.19, you know where I'm going. Philippians 4.19, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. Now let me tell you something. There's a premise to that promise because if I had time to go back to verse 14 and read the whole context leading up to that, He's thanking people who have given to Him. He was in a Philippian jail and people gave to Him. He was in a Roman jail, excuse me, and the Philippians gave to Him. And you go back and read the context of that verse. That promise is made to givers. If you're not a giver, you can't claim that promise. My God has promised to meet all of your needs. What's under the heading of needs? You can do that as easy as I can do that. But it's in the context of the past. That's why you just can't pull a Philippians 4.19 out and wave it around. There's a premise to that. There's a premise to that. Proverbs 28, 27. Proverbs 28, 27. Those who give to the poor will lack nothing. Those who give to the poor will lack nothing. And just like a lot of promises were, there's the inverse of that. Like a lot of the Proverbs are, there's an inverse to that underneath it. But those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. That's a promise. And now the Christian life for me is either to believe that promise or not. 
either to lean hard on that promise or not, either to put that into play in my life or not. And after all, a better word for a Christian, in my opinion, this is my opinion, Mark's opinion, a better word for a Christian than Christian is believer. Is believer. How do I know I'm a Christian? Because I believe. Well, what does it mean to believe? Well, there's a whole bunch of promises and it's God's word. And to the ones that he's brought to your attention, I don't know what all 7,000 and some odd of those promises are. I don't have all those memorized. You don't either. But to the ones that he brings to my mind, I have an obligation there. If I'm a believer. All right, let me close with this. God promises to multiply the gifts of the giver. God promises to multiply the gifts of the giver. Some of you remember the story when Jesus fed the 5,000. Was it from a little child? Didn't he take a few loaves and fishes or whatever it was? And he took them and he multiplied them. That's an example of what Jesus can do with our gifts. That's an example of what Jesus can do with our gifts, with our giving spirit. Luke 6, 38, you'll know this verse. Give and will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. The promise is that God will multiply the gifts to the giver. Given will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and poured into your lap. I've told you this before. Whenever I think of that verse and think of shaken down, pressed together, I think of me when it's my turn to empty the garbage and, and it's at the very top, and I just go, because <laughs> Sue gets mad at me if it's at the very top, and I haven't, so I just press it down, man. And God gives to you, and he presses it down, man. You can get more in there. Shaking together. Running over. We'll be poured into your lap. God promises to multiply. You can't outgive God. What does that mean, Mark? I don't know totally. That's an ultimate thing. That's not an immediate thing. That's an ultimate thing. The immediate of how all that works out, it'd probably be different for every single person that's in here. Proverbs eleven twenty four. Proverbs eleven twenty four. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Now, you knew I would make it to this last verse sooner or later. Malachi 3.10 says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. What, what's the word tithe mean? That's a new word. You, you don't even hear that word used anywhere outside of the church. Have you ever heard the word tithe used outside of the church? It means a tenth. If you dig into what the Hebrew means there, it means a tenth. Bring the whole tenth. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Find me another promise in all of Scripture that he says, go ahead and put me to the test on this. I, I haven't found it yet. I haven't found it yet. The only one that he says, I know this is probably a little hard for you to understand, so go ahead and test me. Test me for three months. Test me for six months. Test me for a year. I probably shouldn't have said that. Don't test me for three months or six months. You probably ought to do it over the long haul because those are immediate things, right? And it's just not like, well, I'm going to start tithing this week, 
and uh, then my business will jump next week. That's foolish, right? I mean, that's just foolish. I don't have to tell you all that's foolish. That's foolish. That's a vending machine God. You don't understand the principle. I give because I trust him. I give because he asked me to. Well, Mark, that's Old Testament stuff. That's law. That's that tenth stuff, that tithe stuff. That's law. We're not under law. We're under grace. How many people have heard, I've heard a lot of people say that over my lifetime. Well, I think I could spend the next few minutes saying, saying, first of all, saying you're right. We're not under law. And that was under law. The tenth was under law. But now we're under grace. And I think I could make a really good argument that under grace, under the favor of God, powered by the Holy Spirit, it's more than a tenth under grace than it is under law. Than it is under law, just the straight 10%. What God is talking about here is systematic giving. Not just, well, it looks like I got $17 left over. At the, I paid all my bills and I got $17 left over and I'll give that to the church. Well, it looks like this month I got $47 left, left over. I'll give that to the church. No, it's systematic giving. That's a part of your budget. For Sue and I, for as long as we've been married, and the few years that I was a Christian before we were married, it's been 10, 10, 80. I've told you that more times than you probably want to hear. It's 10% to the Lord, 10% to ourselves, and live off of 80% of our income. And some of you say, well, there's no way we can live off of 80% income. Well, you've got two problems. You've got to either spend less or you've got to get a new job. <laughs> I mean, I mean there's, ba- there's, there's not a whole lot of options there. You've got, you've got to reduce your spending or you've got to find a job that pays you. And that, that's probably kind of harsh, and I don't mean that in a smart-ass way at all. I'm just 10, 10, 80. 10% to the Lord. First check is written to the Lord. 10% to ourselves. Retirement. Savings. You know, did you know, Harold has found this out. Do you know I can't live off the $300 a month that the Church of Nazarene is going to give me for retirement? We can't live off that, can we, Harold? What are you laughing about over there, Harold? I can't live off of Social Security. And have no, I have no absolute certainty that Social Security will be there for me and my family when I'm 70, 80, and 90 years old if I make it that long. What do I have to depend on? Well, first of all, I depend on that God will always meet all my needs. And second of all, I've been doing this 10, 10, 80 thing forever. And that 10% accumulated over 30 years it's going to be my retirement. Now, Sue and I, once we trained ourselves to do 10, 10, 80, we were able to push it to 12, 12, 76. Because every single raise that we got or when more money came into our home, we didn't just spend it. We increased our tithe, and we increased our retirement. And, re- and God has met all of our needs. There are some people on the sound of my voice that if you were honest and, and I wanted to put you on the spot, you could stand up and, and you could say that, uh, well, you know, looks like I'm about 25, 25, 50 right now. 
Now, obviously, the people that can do that make more money than, than most of us do. That's fine. That's absolutely fine. But I'm not telling, but the, the people in the church of Jesus Christ that do this are the ones that are able to give abundantly because he multiplies the gifts of the giver. Thank you for being a good giving church. I'm not preaching this message because you're not. I'm not preaching this message because we're don't, we can't pay our bills. It's quite the opposite. Praise the Lord is right. It's quite the opposite. And anybody that's ever been on our board or anybody in this room that's on our staff knows that. The amount of money that we have in our ledger and the different funds would dwarf a lot of churches. Our size. And I'm not saying that to brag, except maybe to brag on you. We try to watch very much what we spend, spend it appropriately. We appreciate that you're good givers. So those of you that are so good givers, you're just hearing this message and you're saying amen. You may not be saying it out loud, but you're saying, yep, that works. Yep, God's proved that to me in my life. But I know there's some of you that have not put God to the test here. This is a promise. You may be believing his promise that for God so loved the world, but you have not taken him at his word. And can I tell you, at 62 years of age, he's faithful. He will come through. If you honor him with one of the most difficult areas in our lives to honor him. Because we all hold to our wallets pretty tight. Except when it comes to PS5s and stuff like that. <laughs> Somebody new here that doesn't, hadn't heard very much preaching could be thinking that you just, uh, well, I guess you give enough, you buy your way into heaven and all that. Well, that's absurd. Um, your relationship with God is based on grace. It's based on His favor. Your faith that you put in, that you believe, but His favor. Our relationship is based. Now, how all that works out in our lives, all those immediate things, has a lot to do with giving and a lot of other areas of our lives. But I want you to know that you have not heard Mark say that, you know, big givers are going to heaven. and uh, you, could, you could be a big giver and not go to heaven if you give grudgingly, if you don't give with the right attitude, if you give because God is a vending machine God and he's going to give you back. Our relationship with God is based on grace. Our, our place in heaven is based on grace. And so every Sunday we remind ourselves of that by taking in some symbols of the body of Christ. And he took bread and he broke it. And he says, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. And the Bible says in the same way, he took the cup. He says, this is a cup of the new covenant. What's he mean by new covenant? It's the covenant that was in his blood, not the covenant of the law. Do this, thou shalt, thou shalt not. It's the covenant of grace that's in the blood of Christ because he died for you. He says to do this in remembrance of him.
Lord God, um, I thank you that, that you taught me this lesson about giving a long time ago. And because of that, um, because of that, I'm more prepared to retire in about four years than, than I would have been because you've, you've helped me. You've blessed us. Um, I, I thank you that you pointed this out to me very early in my Christian life. I thank you that so many here could stand and testify. I thank you that so many here are faithful. And I pray for those who this is kind of really tough for. I pray you give them grace to believe. Grace to trust, even if that means cutting back in another area. Grace to believe, grace to trust, grace to lean hard, grace to take you at your word in this area of giving. I pray that if anyone has any questions about this, that they would feel free enough to come to me and we could discuss this. Lord, I want your fullness of your blessing on everyone that's hearing the, my voice right now or watching me on the live stream. I pray that uh, they will trust you fully in this area. In Jesus' name, amen.